Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Talking about things like community several weeks back and then dove into the book of James, which is all chock full of practical wisdom. Um, This week, we're going to start a fall focus on marriage. Um, And in the same way that we spent a heavy amount of time focusing on singleness um, and dialing into that, I want to spend some several weeks talking about marriage. Uh, Now, when we started the single series, um, I started by addressing our married couples and saying, hey, strap in. Uh, This is going to be good for you, but it's not specifically about you. Um, And it is super helpful. And in this church, I can tell you, we have never done a series on marriage, not once. Um, which is interesting because we have a bunch of young married couples. But I want to address the singles in the room and ask you to be present and engaged because we don't do a lot of teaching on this and our church is equally filled by young couples who are really struggling. And often, I think the issue that we face in the local church is uh, if we highlight singles, that means we're, you know, kind of like dis- dismissing or devaluing marriage. And if we highlight marriage and we're dismissing or devaluing, we're not going to do either one of those things. We're going to highlight and speak into. Um, and so I just want to encourage you that to be a part of this body is going to mean that we are learning how to love people in their singleness and we love people in their marriages. Good. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. Um, The reason that we're starting on this is we spend more time working with people who want to be married um, or who are about to get married or who are struggling in their marriages or recovering from broken marriages uh, than just about anything else. Like if I could run you through the last five years, it's basically working through uh, people with relationship difficulties and how do I follow Jesus but feel the suffering pain of marriage kind of consuming me. Um, And I've seen really beautiful marriages formed, and I've seen really beautiful marriages destroyed and devastated here in front of me. Um, And so since we planted this church, I've witnessed at least five divorces of people in this church. um, And I've been a part of four or five marriages in this church. And 20 years of ministry affords you lots of opportunities to see the good, bad, and the ugly when it comes to relational stuff and marriages Um, I've married a lot of you. Like I look around, there's a lot of you that I've married and I've been able to do um, counseling with, which is a joy and a trial um, beyond all compare. Um, But often when I'm sitting down with somebody and I'm talking through the thing that they're enduring, they're going through in their life, uh, what comes up the most is relational conflict uh, and marriage struggles. And, And so whether you are single or married, Marriages, both good and bad, have shaped the way that we see life and relationships in the world around us. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, 100% of us came out of a relationship, so congratulations. Uh, And the majority of us are the result of a marriage decision, right? And and so every single one of us have been impacted by marriage in some way. Um, And as we talk about marriage over the next several weeks... um, I realize that this room is full of people with different experiences and stories. Um, And unfortunately, we tend to develop our views of marriage and divorce based on our experience and our story and not based on what the Lord has to say about it. Um, And that can be a challenge. Can I just be honest with you? Um, And so as we step into this, I realize that for many of you, um, you have long, deep, beautiful marriages and Perhaps this doesn't feel as necessary for you in this season. 
Um, I would disagree with you, but I would also applaud you for that long and beautiful marriage. Uh, we have brand new marriages. How many of you have been married for two years or less in the house? Two years or less. One, two, three, four. You guys are at two years-ish? Less. We got at least four couples in here that are at two years or less. Um, we have marriages that are teetering and on life support. Really? Um, Many of you, when the second that I said marriage, you cringed um, because you've suffered an abusive spouse um, or you have gone through a relationship that was steeped in addiction. Um, and many of you have been through painful separations and divorces. And this is a topic that is loaded for everybody in the room. Some of you have actually seen the worst of all those things, though, and you've made it out the other side. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle when that happens. Uh, and many of you have witnessed those marriages as children or as friends from the outside. And so what we're talking about today is not something that is like sideline issue. It is dead in the middle of how we live and where we live and where our community is. Um, and so what I hope for our singles that you can hear this morning is that um, while marriage seems like it is the answer to a lot of things, if you ask most married people, they will tell you very quickly that it is not the answer. Um, and in fact, that it is kind of a conflicted story for many, um, and it is full of pain and heartache for a lot of people. And a lot of us have really beautiful marriages. I love my wife. My wife loves me most days, and we have a beautiful marriage. <laughs> um, but we have also had several moments where we thought, I don't know if we're going to make it, if we were honest. We've had lots of those, and those aren't things you talk about behind the mic as easily, but I will tell you that every single one of us who is married will face those fiery trials and moments. And those with the Spirit are what forms us into the people we're becoming and the kind of marriage that I believe He shows us as possible in here. Um, and so um, what I want uh, for our married couples is if you're here this morning and the house is on fire and you're hurting and you're here and you're devastated, I want you to hear that there is hope man, that there's hope that you can get through this and it is possible. And many of us have been in the same boat and come out the other side, not unscathed, but forever changed by the redemptive work of Jesus in the middle of our mess. Um, there's hope. Um, and so um, I just want to invite you wherever you're at in the story to stay with us and to stay engaged. Um, Barna Research suggests that marriage is still the norm. 78% of Americans will get married at least once in their lifetime. Um, and in the church, 84% of Americans will get married at least once. But in that same test group, 33% of those marriages end in divorce. Okay, so we see a real problem. And that, that stat isn't different inside and outside the church. It's the same. And so even though 84% of people inside the church are getting married, 33% are still getting divorced. Um, and so my, my conviction is that if we don't understand the purpose of marriage in glorifying God and in shaping us in the image of Christ, we'll actually just kind of abuse it to meet whatever our personal desires are, and then we'll walk away when our expectations are failed. Um, and that's not a quick, easy process. That's slow and painful, and many of us know that journey. Um, and you may be in here and thinking, like, Grant, this is normal. Like, this is just the world that we live in. What's the big deal? Uh, David Kinneman, who wrote the article on those marriage statistics that I just read, he had this to say. He said, George Barna, who directs the Barna Research Group, he noted that Americans have grown comfortable with divorce as a natural part of life. 
There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage, the researcher indicated. Uh, interviews with young adults suggest that they, they want their initial marriage to last, but they're not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage in which a person gets married two or three times seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. So this is the new norm. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that my daughter, Nora, uh, in the car asked me, are you and mommy ever going to divorce? And it's not because she has seen or heard anything. It's because the norm for her and her friends at school is mommy and daddy separated and my friend has got to go live with somebody else. And I have to tell her every time, baby, your mom's going to have to kill me. Like, um, no, I don't control the future. And she might. <laughs> There's time. But yeah, for, for our kids, this is the baseline of what relationship looks like. Now, here's the problem with that, that standard. Uh, one of Paul's primary descriptions of Christ is that he is the groom and that the church is the bride. And his insistence is that marriage is really about our union with Christ. And so my marriage to Chrissy um, has as much to do with the way that Jesus loves me as it does with the way I love her. You all feel the weight of that? Um, in other words, your marriage is as much about your love for and submission to Christ as it is about your love for and submission to that person that you said I do to. Do you love Jesus? Do you receive his love? You know, we've been talking about the church as the place where God's kingdom comes to earth. Like here, this is where the will of God is actually played out in the community around us. When we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's this revelation that God actually wants his culture and his kingdom in nature to come to rest here. And it happens in us individually. It happens in us corporately, like in the body on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or when you get together with two or three buddies who are going after the things of Jesus for coffee and you're just discussing your life. There is this um, this presence of the kingdom that's there. But in marriage, it becomes this other little outpost of heaven on the earth. Your marriage is meant to be a signal and a sign to the world around you that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he is. Your marriage is a prophetic declaration in the earth of what God's like. But what kind of declaration is it? Like if people could look in and see the reality of your marriage, what does it have to say about Jesus? Loving God has everything to do with the way that we love our spouses and work through hardship. Everything, right? Because if we say that we love God, but we're hateful and cutting to our spouses, or we're abusive and impatient, something is broken in my connection to God. I, I can't, he actually says it like this. If you say that you love God, but you have hate for your brother, then you're not mine. Now think of that. Because a lot of times, in the midst of conflict and crisis in marriage, we turn to hate. We, we can actually hate at the same level that we thought we loved eight minutes before that. And we have to recognize this. The way that we show up for and lay our lives down um, for one another and our spouses is a clear declaration of who Jesus is. 
And so what I want to do today um, is really call us to this place of deep, intimate, intentional relationship with your spouse that's rooted in love for God. That the way that I love Chrissy, it actually magnifies the name of Jesus in the earth. It tells people who Jesus is by the way that I love her. Um, And the way that she loves me, it, it ought to tell people. It ought to declare with a megaphone the goodness and the love of God. That she would look at, they would look at the way that this woman has lovingly submitted herself and loved this hard-headed, um, impatient person for 20 years, and they go, that's Jesus. <laughs> it's only Jesus that would enable that to happen, right? And this is what I want to call you to as a church. Uh, and if you're here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus or marriage, like you're not following the Lord, you're just kind of asking some questions, my goal over this series is to present some scriptures about what God's view of marriage is and what it takes to live that out and what gets in the way of biblical marriage, uh, which, by the way, that's us. Like, we're what gets in the way of biblical marriage. Um, And at the end of that, my hope is that you will come to this conclusion. Uh, There is no way I can do this without Jesus, and Jesus is better than anything. That he's better than anything. Uh, And I want to just set the stage for you today um, about what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Um, turn in your Bibles to math, uh, sorry, Genesis 2, 18. We're going to take it back to the beginning. As you're turning, let me set this up. In Matthew chapter 19, um, Jesus is doing ministry in Judea, and he is confronted by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious elite of their day. They come to Jesus, and they're testing him. They're actually measuring him out and accusing him and basically saying, if you are the Christ, tell us how we should really follow God. But they have no faith in their hearts. They're really just um, after him. And in Matthew 19, they ask him, they come to him with this difficult question to disprove that he is who he said he is. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus, in this moment, 2,000 years later, or I'm sorry, not 2,000 years later, all the way from, from Genesis all the way to the revelation of Jesus, um, Jesus actually references all the way back to the creation narrative as the baseline to understand what marriage is, right? In this moment, he goes all the way back to Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, and he says, oh, if you want to know about divorce and marriage, let me talk to you about God's original intention. And he takes people back to the very beginning. Now, before we even read that, I want you to see that. That if you are a follower of Jesus, not um, a fan of Jesus who comes to church on Sundays, not a person who tithes and grew up in the church, uh, not a person who thinks he's a great philosophical teacher or a moralist or a great prophet or a good man, but if you're a follower of Jesus as God, son of man and son of God, who rules your life, then your frame of reference for marriage doesn't come from state laws. It doesn't come from cultural traditions. Uh, it comes from God's original intention in creation. And, and so this is what Jesus anchors us in. If he was here this morning and somebody said, Jesus, tell us about marriage, he would say, well, let me take you to Genesis 2. This, this is what God has to say about it. So let's read what he says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to read seven verses here. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock. 
the birds and the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It's a really weird story. Have any of you like read the Bible with like new eyes before? Not like, I read this in Sunday school. It's just normal to me. Have you ever read this? It's weird. Um, the story of the first marriage doesn't start with two people in love. It starts with one guy in need. That's marriage. Marriage begins in the Bible with this one guy who is in trouble. <laughs> and some of you ladies are like, it's still one guy in need. <laughs> that's, that's what marriage is. I can feel it in the room. The story of humanity is the story of people in need and the God who meets that need. Adam, or Adam, whose name actually means man or mankind, is in the Garden of Eden to do the work that God gave him to do. Did you know that? Adam means man. So he's, he's, and he's talking about humanity. Um, it's not that Adam was female. Adam was male, but he was the representative person created for humanity. And God saw that he was all alone and he needed help. And out of all the stuff that was created, all the animals that Adam was naming, there wasn't a suitable helper, an Azer Neged. There wasn't a suitable helper for Adam. And so God decided to make him one. Now, now if you're reading this story, I don't know if any of you read this story this morning, just now for the first time, but if you read this for the first time, how do you expect that God is going to create Eve? If you're reading it for the first time, you haven't gotten ahead. Same way, right? God's going to scoop some dust up, and he's going to form it and fashion it to look like him, and he's going to breathe into it, and then up pops a weasel, right? <laughs> That's not how that saying goes, but I'm using it. plot twist, like God takes Adam and puts him to sleep. And then he takes a chunk out of Adam's side and he comes over and he forms that piece of flesh and bone and he builds woman. One substance, two people. You see this? Like, why? Anybody? Well, why doesn't he just create a second person independent of the first? What a weird creation story. You know, we just completed two weeks on community several weeks back, and we talked about this doctrine of oneness, our union with Christ, that we are in Christ, and the Father is in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, and the Holy Spirit who comes from the Father is in us, and the Holy Spirit who is in us shares everything that belongs to Christ. You see the picture? It was this overlapping vault of us being included into um, the, the Trinity of God um, standing at the intersection of divine, eternal love and also of us being connected with each other, right? That the same spirit that is in Sherry is in me and so that me and Sherry actually share way more in common than me and just some random person on the street. Like, it's my sister, it's my, 
That's my blood in, in lots of ways, right? Um, and so we, we talked about that. Um, so God is one, and in Christ we are one. But the first human experiment in oneness began when God surgically split Adam and fashioned a suitable partner out of the part that came from Adam, and then God commanded those two parts to come together again to be one flesh. That's a lot of working around to get this one thing to happen. I'm going to split you in half, and then I'm going to put you back together, and I'm going to take that, and then I'm going to command you guys to come together. Now, God must be up to something, right? Um, In other words, God is actually creating humanity to look like him. In the same way that God is three distinct persons, like we talked about, that operate in absolute unity, God creates humanity as two distinct persons who operate in unity. Like, why create humanity with felt need? Does anybody else struggle with that? Why is Adam, sin's not even in the picture, he's in the garden and he feels alone? Interesting. Why does humanity experience the necessity of partnership and community to do all that God has designed him for. Because it's not good for man to be alone. It's funny, as I was kind of like studying all these old Hebrew words, Lindy, the word for alone is bad. Like that's the, that's the word that means alone, bad. <laughs> alone, bad. You know, it's like <laughs> caveman language. Why? Because God has made you to exist in partnership and community just as he exists in partnership and community. Now, now hear me, you don't have to be married to achieve this. I I want you to hear that, right? It's not like uh, those of you who are single in the room, you're waiting on that special someone in order to achieve what God has promised in partnership and community at the beginning. That's not it. That's not it. And, And here's how I can prove that. The same language that's used in John 14 to describe the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send another like Jesus, a helper and an advocate, is the same language he uses in Genesis of God giving Eve to Adam. Interesting. John 14, 16, let's read it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. In fact, that name, Azer Neged, suitable helper, you're like, why are we doing this, Grant? Why are we, why are we doing Greek today, Grant? Um, Azer Neged, um, it actually means, uh, we translate it as suitable helper, but it translates to a comforter or helper who is present with you. Now, if, if you're a student of the scriptures, your ears are on fire. Because what you're hearing is what is promised in Psalm 46.1, that God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Right? There was a song when we were kids. I don't know if you guys remember. When I was a kid, some of you were full-grown adults. Um, uh, God is our helper and God is our strength. No? A very present help in trouble. Therefore I will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains. No? All right. I'm here. I do parties. Hey, but hear it, hear it. He promises that what Adam needs in the beginning, that God himself is the answer. Shoot. 
that he's the answer, but God also delights to give partnership. See, the, the image here is that you are invited into the presence of God who longs to be your comforter and helper. That, that word present, um, it actually means in front of your face. He wants to give you the kind of partner who is comforting and a helper to you who stands right in front of you. He gives you the actual presence of God who leads you and comforts you and guides you and heals you and helps you. This is who he is. But hear me. This is where it connects and it gets so fun. When asked about marriage, Jesus says that's what marriage is supposed to be like. Exactly what God promises to the life of every one of us. He says that is the mirror image of what it is that God is asking of us. It's you coming alongside your spouse in a committed covenant relationship to act on behalf of God as an ever-present help and comforter. Now feel that. Uh, come, Daniel and Tori, will you come up here? Sorry. <laughs> come this way. <laughs> you didn't have to bring your Bible. That's intense. <laughs> hey, didn't he do a great job, by the way, last week? Man. <laughs> okay, so, so imagine, imagine um, you come over here. Oh, boy. That I, sh I probably should have planned this out. This is going to be terrible. Um, that Tori, before she and Daniel came together, Tori could actually look to the Lord as her present help and comforter. And some of the things that we long for in partnership and in marriage, she could actually turn to him and God will be by the Holy Spirit, like your present help and comforter. You don't have to be alone ever again. The promise of the Spirit is you're never alone. You're never alone. Even if you are physically alone, you're never alone. But you have the presence of the Holy Spirit with you and he will comfort you and help you and guide you. But then when you guys start looking at each other and being like, man, he is cute. Oh, she is fine. She loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. Say what? It's okay. It's okay. Some of the singles are uncomfortable. It's fine. You can be attracted to people. Um, we'll cover that in another sermon. Uh, and you guys come together. This is what, have you guys seen what happens in weddings when the father gives the bride away? Interesting, right? So come over here, Daniel. So he, he brings Daniel in and the Lord hasn't left, but he just does one of these. And the very role, the, the very role that the Lord serves, he now says to both of you, you serve this role in him. The thing that I provide for you, I want you to give it to him. Comfort, help, presence. You give it to her. You're, it's not that the Lord is absent. It's that he is, he is inviting you to stand in and to take up space as his representative in this person's life. What? Okay, go. Thank you. He, he wants us to be mirror images of his nature. Two, two distinct people knit together in interdependence uh, and sacrificial love and mutual submission. Now, here's the challenge, all right? Because some of you are like, oh, it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. Marriage, yay. Here's the challenge. We aren't called to just be one. We are becoming one Flesh. Flesh. This thing that's dying. This stuff. This stuff that is like constantly leads me the wrong direction. That has its own appetites and desires that are contrary to what God wants. That has its own appetites and desires that steers whatever direction I want. 
this thing. So even though they are moving back to this beautiful model of unity and who God is, they're doing it as flesh. It, it was Adam's flesh that Eve was formed from. That word flesh is the same Greek word sarx. It actually means flesh or sin nature all throughout the scripture. It's the thing that is corrupted and dying. In other words, we are meant to live and operate in divine unity as, as expressions of God to each other. I'm supposed to be um, like God in the way that I love Chrissy Collins. That, that, that is my role. But both she and I are uniquely broken and rebellious and twisted by sin. And we're called to unity. You guys with me? You see the problem? Um, the passage actually ends by saying that Adam and Eve are both naked and felt no shame. There's no issues. There's nothing against them. They can operate in perfect unity. They can see clearly, but there, there is no problem that brings division. But if we turn one page over to the right in Genesis 3 and we see Adam and Eve abandon God's plan and immediately start to work against each other and blame each other and cover themselves in shame. One page. Instead of being helpers and comforters, they turn on each other. And some of us have felt that turn. We feel that turn in relationship constantly. But folks, to become one, we have to put to death our own individual sin natures over and over and over. And while this is true, true for both singles and marrieds, there is a unique intensity to the unity, both physically and spiritually and emotionally, that we experience in marriage that can't be compared. And I want you to hear that. There is an intensity. How many of you in this room are married? Okay. Um, do you remember the worst fight you ever got in with your spouse? We laughed to keep from crying. <laughs> How gutting was it? Can you remember? <laughs> it's counting. It's, it's the most painful thing I can describe to you. I can't actually describe anything more painful. Um, there is something that is so uniquely intense about that relationship because it is one thing. It's like I took your body and started to rip you into pieces. That is what broken marriage feels like. It feels like if somebody could just get their hands into your sternum and pull apart. That is what it feels like when you're not operating in unity as a married couple. Now, we really downgrade this and diminish it, but it feels like you're being torn in half. Yeah? Am I right, married people? It, it, it is a unique pain unlike anything. Um, now, listen, this doesn't devalue singleness. It is meant to put reverent fear in those of us who are married and those of you who want to be married. Um, that in the same way that healthy marriage can make you feel more fully alive and seen and loved, unhealthy marriage can make you feel like you're being uh, quartered up. You know, I, I can also tell you the times when I felt so broken, man, uh, like so incredibly devastated and feeling like I was on the edge of a breakdown and Chrissy would just come and put her hand on me. That's all. And just be there. And how healing that was to me personally. To know even if she and I don't see eye to eye on things, 
that she's an ever-present help. You know, that's healing, man. And I can also take you through fires where both of us would be ashamed to even walk anybody into it. And, and I got to tell you, uh, this is meant to put reverence in our hearts for what it is that God calls us into and the reality of marriage. It is the most beautiful thing and it can become the most destructive thing. And God wants us to learn how to fight for this and see what it's like to walk it out with him dead in the middle to be stand-ins of his presence in one another's lives so that this thing is healing and redemptive, not marring and maiming and destroying. Is everybody good? This is the work that I think we're called to. And in this series, something that we're going to really keep trying to address. Um, your marriage is meant to expose the cosmos and the world around us to the beauty of God's nature in action through one man and one woman. Now, how is this possible, right? Because if you've been married, you know what a challenge it can be, whole, it can be to hold this responsibility, uh, to, to be an ever-present help and comforter to someone who can really grate on your nerves, someone who can really get under your skin. Like, there are two people who can drive me to the edge of myself in the world, my twin brother and my wife. <laughs> Chrissy knows how to get me there. Well, I bet it's true. And I can get you there too, baby, right? I, I can just drive her up the wall. Like we are uniquely wired to make each other want to commit murder. Um, so how in the world, how in the world, if you are married um, or you want to be married, you know the challenge it is. How, how do we actually do this? I, I just want to close with one thought. Um, I really believe that this audacious vision of Christian marriage is impossible apart from Christ. In Romans chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes Jesus as the second Adam. There was a first Adam. We know what he did. But there was also the second Adam. And the first one, he says, brought death to all men by disobedience. But the second, he says, brought justification and life. And as many as were uh, landed in death because of Adam's sin, Jesus is bringing every son to glory who will put his faith in him. Every son and daughter, every person who puts faith in him. And like Adam was broken to be united to his bride, we're getting a bigger vision that Christ also came to be broken so that he could be united to his bride. Are you with me? The only way I can love Christy the way that God calls me to love her, the only way I can be a stand-in and to represent him in the way that I love and honor and serve her and stay present with her is if I am leaning into the broken body of Jesus who has paid it all for me. That's the only way. If I don't recognize that he was broken so that I could be made whole in him, then there's no way that I'm going to be willing to be broken so that she can be made whole in him. This is the role and the duty that all of us face. He has laid his life down so that you can exit death and enter life. So hear me. If you're considering marriage, if you're wrestling with it, it is the most beautiful. And it is potentially the most painful. And marriage will not fix all your problems. It won't suddenly cure any issues you have with insecurity or sin. It won't solve your lust issue. Hello? It won't magically make you more peaceful. Marriage is the relational context where you learn to love someone and to be loved by someone who is uniquely broken by sin. With man, it is impossible. 
but all things are possible with God. So the goal is that we love that person as a stand-in for Jesus himself. So folks, the only way, the only way that you and I can be God's representative with your spouse is if you experience that love and forgiveness of Jesus for you. It's something that, um, that God would go this entire, it almost feels like a runaround, that Adam would have to be broken so that his bride could be brought to him. But I believe that story tells so much about who Christ is and what he does for us. That the only way you and I can actually walk this thing out in partnership and community with another person is if we learn that we are the bride who has been brought into the broken body of Jesus. And for some of you today, man, when you think about marriage, you only think about the wrong that's been done to you or the wrong that you've done. And God wants to remind you that this thing is a reflection of his character and his love toward you. We talk about triangles quite a bit here, like everything we do. I don't ever respond to Chrissy just out of Chrissy's um, merit. I'm always responding to her out of God's mercy to me, right? So anytime she wrongs me, my first response is, God, what is it that you've done for me? It's a question that moves me to mercy and forgiveness. And in the same way, God wants to teach us to live lives that are just responding to his body broken for us. And that if I can be united through his sacrifice, then I can lay my life down for this person. Are you with me? So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about all kinds of obstacles and issues that we face in marriage. And the beautiful image. Uh, next week, we'll talk about Paul's vision, what, what he describes as a marriage that works. And I want you to come because I believe it's really, really important that we get it into our souls. This morning, I want to invite you to stand. And I just want to ask you, have you experienced that kind of love? The love of God that allows his body to be broken so that you can be united with him. For some of you, you're here this morning and it's like God's, you're putting God to the test. You're like the Pharisees, putting Jesus to the test, saying, well, what do you, what do you believe about this? Maybe if you answer the way I like, I'll say that you're the son of God. And he actually comes to you with the word about who he is. But he says the only way that you come into this body, into the family of God, is through Jesus crucified. Through Jesus crucified. And for some of you today, you want to understand, you are waiting to understand before you give your faith to Christ. And he says, if you will put your faith in me, I will give you knowledge and wisdom and understanding. I'll entrust you with what it is that you long for. But have you experienced that love? Close your eyes for just a moment. That Christ, before the foundations of the earth, chose that his body would be broken so that you might be set free. Isaiah 53, I believe. Forgive me. Isaiah 53 reads, Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he didn't open his mouth. 
This is, this is the description of the king who has allowed his body to be broken so that you can become his bride. And I want to invite you today, maybe you're married um, and you're in the middle of a crisis. The answer doesn't begin with your issue. The answer begins with Jesus. Have you received the washing and the healing and the forgiveness that only comes from his perfection being broken so that you could be joined to him? And if you haven't, would you just open your hands right now as an act of just receiving that? Saying, Lord, I, I want to belong to you. And if you're a guy in this room and you say, man, I, I don't want to be the bride of Christ. Listen, you want to belong to this Jesus. He's the one that saves us and heals us and redeems us. He puts his name on you. And he puts your name on him. He intercedes for you day and night. And this morning, he wants, um, he wants your surrender. Your surrender. This is a love story with surrender in it. For many of you, you haven't received this, that Jesus is inviting you in to receive the love of God through his broken body. Peter says it's a, a, a new way opened through his body, the curtain, torn open. And so Jesus has opened this new and living way for you to become the bride of Christ. And if that's you today, I just want you to signify, just lift your hand and just say, I want to I belong to Jesus. I don't, and I do, I want to. He promises he wants to be your ever-present help and comforter. If you're single in the room right now and you're like, man, I desperately am looking to a person to find that, the Lord promises that now through his presence. He's not asking you to wait till later till you find a person. He is your ever-present help in trouble. He's your comforter and helper. He's your strength. The Holy Spirit is promised as that helper who comes alongside you. Why don't you just ask him, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you fill me? Would you come and lead me, lead my life? He promises his spirit to his people. But secondly, uh, we can't be God's representatives. For those of you who are married, if we're harboring unforgiveness and hatred toward the person we're married to. And for some of us, we need to begin right there. God has asked you to be a stand-in for him in loving your spouse. And you're carrying some deep wounds toward them right now. And I believe the Lord is just inviting you to practice forgiveness. You say, Grant, you don't know what they did. I don't. But it tells us that when Jesus was on the cross that he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And if the Lord can show me mercy hammer in hand, then he can, he can, through us, show mercy to our spouses who have hurt us. Uh, I learned from Dr. Swanson over there that forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. 
And forgiveness doesn't mean that the wrong wasn't wrong. It's actually recognizing that what was done to you was wrong. And you choosing by the mercy of God given to you to release that person from the penalty of what they did and to bless them instead. It's the work of God. And right now, if your heart is bound up in unforgiveness and hatred toward your spouse, I just want to invite you to start by releasing them. Just choosing. This is, this is hard work. In marriage, if you just kind of glaze over problems, we're going to talk about this. If you just glaze over those problems, it's like you're packing thorns under your pillow and expecting it to not hurt. Like, you can't just keep doing that and expect everything to be okay. The Lord actually wants to bring these things to your heart and your mind. I remember Diane was doing a, a teaching here one, one morning, and she talked about anger, and she used the word hatred. She said, you hate somebody. And it offended me because I had hatred in my heart, but I had been using a softer, gentler word. Right? I'm, I'm just frustrated, or I'm just, this has been really hard for me, or it's very difficult, or this person's frustrating. No, I had hatred. I actually hated that person. And the Lord needed to come and to free my heart. But sometimes if we're passive, and many of us in this room are very passive, we will just glaze over the issues and we don't realize that there are little bombs going off and they're creating collateral damage everywhere. And the Lord wants you to actually recognize what, what is hitting so that you can release it. Does that make sense? You guys with me? So let's do that. You ready? For some of you, you desperately need to release people who have hurt you. And this isn't, this is maybe we're talking about marriages, but there's a lot of people in here who are single and you're carrying bitterness and hatred and anger toward people. And the Lord wants you to release them. Uh, Jesus actually says you can't receive forgiveness if you can't forgive. You've closed off your capacity to receive his love. That's why forgiveness is so damning to us. It literally dams up the grace of God from being able to enter our hearts. And so right now, we just want to encourage you, just open your hands as an act of saying, I'm, whatever I was holding on to, I, I let go of it. I let go of it. Father, we choose right now to take those things that have been done to us in marriage and outside of marriage, and Lord, instead of harboring them, instead of swallowing them, God, we put them at your feet. Lord, we recognize the, uh, the tragedy that they've created in our lives. They were wrong, God. That person was wrong to have said what they did. They were wrong to have hurt me the way that they did, to put their hands on me, uh, to, to use things against me, to betray me, to stab me in the back. They were wrong for those things. But Father, you forgave me when I was wrong. And Lord, I... Um, I resist the right to hold someone hostage to things that you have forgiven me of. So, Father, I choose now to release that person from what they have done to me. They don't have to pay for it. Why don't you do that right now? I, I choose to release this person. I choose, it's my choice. I release them. They don't have to pay for what they did. That organization, what they did to you, that company, that ministry, that pastor, that friend, 
I choose to release them, and they don't have to pay for it. But I believe that it has been paid for on the cross. And so, Jesus, in the same way that you have blessed instead of cursed, I now bless. And I ask you to bless that person. When you see their face, I bless that person. Thank you, Lord. Break off a spirit of anger right now in this room. A stronghold of anger. A stronghold of rebellion against you, Jesus. I thank you that you have set the captives free. We are free indeed. We release right now, right now, and we speak blessing. We bless them, Father. We ask you to give them your very best, to prosper them, Lord. May they know you. May they walk with you, Jesus. May they have good things, Lord. And if you're married in the room, why don't you take the hand of your spouse and say the very same, bless my wife, bless my husband, bless them. Shower them, watch over them, give them grace, give them mercy. There's others of you in this room, just as we close today, and your heart feels mangled. Like you're, you're on the backside of a separation or a divorce, and you are still feeling the pain of this. And you just need someone to partner with you and to declare hope. And to declare that life isn't over that things move forward, and that God has you. We have so many testimonies in this room of people who have gone through just tragic stories in relationships, and they've come out the other side with the Lord, even if the relationship didn't make it. There is hope. There is restoration. God hasn't set you on the side burner. He actually has the very best for you still. And if that's you, would you just signify in some way, I just need people to pray for me. And if you don't feel like, man, I can do that right now, hang out after and just let us pray with you. Because you're not alone. You're not alone. So Father, uh, we just commit every family and every life in this room. Lord, I know stepping into this conversation, people get slow and still and quiet because it is such high stakes. But Lord, I pray that your vision for marriage and this oneness, that we are stand-ins and representatives of you with one another. And God, that you have joined us as the bride to the broken body of Jesus. And in Christ, you're making us one. Father, I pray in marriage that we would carry that unique grace to love each other the way that you love us. God, that you would make us a prophetic declaration in this community. Lord, I thank you for marriages that will last unto death in this room. Some of you believe we're not going to make it another week. And we declare you are going to make it to the end with this person. You're going to serve to the end with this person. And whatever the bad word that's been spoken over your life and marriage, or you've seen the same kind of rate of divorce in your line over and over and over, hear me. The Lord says, if you will trust me, I will redeem this thing and I will use it for my glory. I will use it for my glory. We thank you, Father. We receive the better word that is in Jesus. The better word of Jesus. And Father, we just ask you in this house that we would raise a standard, Lord, for consecrated marriage. Devoted marriage.
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, teach us to be one flesh with our partners. And for those who are in this room, Lord, who aren't married or um, long to be, Father, I pray that they can learn to champion and pray for and love married couples who are going through the fire, uh, that we can learn to do this thing well together. In that way, Lord, we honor you. We honor you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and may he be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance to you, his presence, and may he give you peace. I pray that every relationship you have, that it thrives in the hand of Jesus. That you learn to show mercy. That you learn to walk in compassion and you shower, those of you who are married, your spouses with the love and the affection of God who is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in the time of trouble. May we be battle buddies with our partners and our spouses, that we would come alongside of them and fight for God's very best in their life, that we would speak the truth in love and apply everything with gentleness and honor. God, may we make your name famous through the way we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We love you. Hope you have any Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.